Today I have a chance to speak with you about joy. It's one of my favorite topics. And Henry Nouwen says this about joy. He says, joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. I don't know how those words strike you. <laughs> Maybe you feel like you've just been given a big assignment. <laughs> Sounds easy. When I think about a joy like this, that sounds a little bit less like passively waiting for something and more like we are being invited into an active participation. I think about a caregiver I knew in the Philippines when I was doing research there in an orphanage, studying attachment and the growth of love. This Filipina caregiver was really gifted at just bringing joy into the room. And she was alongside some children with really hard stories. But when she would gather them around her in that circle, she would look at them one by one, and she would say their name. And she would say this, are you ready? And the child who knew it was their turn, with laughter spilling out of their mouth, would say, ha, I was born ready. And then she turned to the next child. Maria, are you ready? And with laughter and smiles, Maria would look at her and say, Ha! I was born ready. Well, how many of you showed up to your morning coffee like that today? Ready. Maybe not. And when you consider all that you have on your plates right now, the hustle and bustle, in the middle of it all, it can be hard to show up ready for joy. I don't know what's on your plates today. It's a beautiful winter wonderland. But some of you have had school and work deadlines. You've had social engagements, recitals, concerts. Should I go on the list? You've maybe had family tensions and financial strain all the things that kind of weight you down and the things that you look forward to, things that bring joy but keep you busy, uh, family members that are coming. I, I have a son right now in the sky in a plane coming to see me, another one on the way a couple days later. But all of this keeps us busy and this joy thing on top of that. We're hanging lights, singing songs, wrapping presents. There's a lot to do. It can feel like joy might just be just out of reach, or certainly a lot to do. And we're in the middle of it all, and we're in the middle of Advent. And we've been going through this sermon series that we've been calling, Why the Family Tree of Jesus Matters. And we've been looking especially at the stories represented by the women who are named in the genealogy of Jesus. We've been talking about hope, talking about peace, talking about love, and today it's about joy. Craig helped us look at what it means to see hope even in the darkest parts of Tamar's story. And then we were 
looking with Ken at what it means to encounter peace right in Rahab's story where she moved from outsider to insider in God's bigger story. And last week we looked at Bathsheba and this love longed for in her story, even as incredible wrongs needed to be made right. And today we're going to journey through Ruth, the book of Ruth, and we're going to look at where we can hunt for joy right in the middle, right in the middle of the story, right in the middle of it all. Well, I want us to start by reading Matthew chapter 1, verse 5 through 6, as we've been doing each week, looking at this family tree of Jesus. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And there's Ruth in the middle of the story. And Ruth's story points us ultimately to Jesus and to a joy that actually changes everything. We're going to look at how that happens. And when we look at the story of Ruth, I want us to look at some different places that we journey with Ruth and with uh, the others in this story. But we're going to stop every now and then to look at why this matters for us. We start in the book of Ruth. It's a beautiful story. It's four chapters. And there's loss and longing and loyalty and loving kindness. And we have three main characters. We have Naomi the widow, Ruth the Moabite, and we have Boaz the Israelite farmer. And it starts with Naomi having a home and a family in Judah, in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem in Hebrew means house of bread. And ironically, the story changes when they encounter a famine. And I can only imagine Naomi saying, you can call this place whatever you want, house of bread, anything else, but I am hungry. (laughs) And sometimes experiences in our lives are like that. Stages in our lives where other people look at us and say, that time is so full of promise and joy. But when you're hungry and you're in the middle of the story and you don't know how it's going to end up, you might be asking some big questions. Well, now we see in the book of Ruth, there's lots of reversals. In the first chapter alone, there are 12 times where we see words that represent turning back, returning. There's this ups and downs of the story. And Naomi goes from being a mom of two sons, a wife to a husband, and she travels with her family to Moab in search of food. And they find food in Moab, but then her husband passes away. And then they they have two people join their family, Orpah and Ruth, these brides to her sons, and then her sons pass away. And suddenly we have three widows in the story. We have Naomi and Orpah and Ruth. And there's a lot of grief. And they have gone to Moab of all places. The Moabites were considered a cursed people, enemies to Israel. 
People who were looked down upon as immoral and of all places in desperation, there they are. And we can be glad that they found food, but suddenly they've found another type of curse, we could say. They were looking for food and they found loss and death. Lots to grieve. And we read Naomi saying, I came here with with family and she describes herself as being someone with nothing because that's the way grief feels, doesn't it? When you lose something, it feels like that's the very thing you're aware of that you don't have in your hands, empty hands. I've been thinking about the way that Christmas time with all its joy, and it does have joy, sometimes also includes parts of our story where there's great grief. And we can encounter losses that make us Uh, focus less on the stuff under our tree and more on the empty chair at our Christmas table or the relationship that we need God's help with. We need some repair. Or maybe in the face of some trouble, we might find ourselves asking God, who am I in the face of this trouble? I don't know what troubles you're facing today, but it can feel like that. One Christmas, in my story, I can remember having some joy and anticipation and then some letdown, some loss. Uh, Many of you know parts of my story. I uh, was born in Ireland and my uh, parents split up and I moved to the U.S. with my mom and my twin sister and my husband, excuse me, my father stayed in Ireland there. He was originally from the U.K. and I grew up without a dad. And it had been a few years that I had just received a letter from him, maybe once or twice a year. And I always looked forward to those letters. Uh, He's an artist and a musician. And so his letters were filled with oftentimes 10 pages of calligraphy style writing and original artwork. And I really cherished that. And then I got a letter when I was about six years old that said he was going to come to meet me. And I didn't know what it was like to be in the same country as him that I could remember or recall, but I was so excited. And I went to school telling my friends, my dad is coming, he's gonna be here for Christmas. And I was anticipating that, expecting it. And for a time I was thinking, I am someone worth coming to, returning to, showing up for. And then he didn't come. And as a kid, oftentimes those things happen and we don't understand why, but it hurts. And If I was somebody worth coming to when he was on his way, when he didn't come, what did that trouble say about me? That's the way troubles are. It makes us ask big questions about who we are in the face of that trouble. And I love the way this proverb that I've really held on to in times of grief speak about loss like this. Proverbs 13, 12. Let me read that to you. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. That puts it into words. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Kind of speaks to when your hands are empty and you're looking at something you're longing for, it makes you feel kind of heart sick. But the opposite is true too. When God takes hold of our hurts and our longings, our heart breaks It can be like a tree of life that stretches out with branches even longer and taller than our troubles. And 
The one mistake about settling too much on this proverb is to think that if we're going on a hunt for joy in our stories, that it only shows up when we finally get what we want, when we're waiting for God to answer our prayers. I don't think that's what the book of Ruth has to teach us today. And I don't think during Advent, as we wait on the Lord's coming, I don't think that's what Jesus wants us to hear today either. I've been wrestling with this, and what I have seen is that on my hunt for joy in the book of Ruth, joy showed up in a powerful way before we see God's answered prayer, before we see the provisions and what God was doing behind the scenes. The tipping point that is so meaningful to me is in Ruth chapter one, verse 16, and you see Naomi was trying to talk Orpah and Ruth into leaving her. She was grieving, she was gonna go back to Judah, back to her home, and she told them, go back to your people. Go back to Moab, go back to your homes. What is there for Moabites here in Judah? She knew that they would be really insecure, considered a cursed people. And Orpah finally decides to do exactly that. But Ruth does something radical. And I like the way the message says it. Ruth chapter one, verse 16, we read that Ruth says these life-changing words. Don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I go. Where you live, I'll live. Your people, my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I'll die. And that's where I'll be buried. So help me God, not even death itself is going to come between us. This radical loyalty and loving kindness shows up through Ruth. And it shows up right in the middle of her grief. I think this is meaningful as we consider Moabites being some, someone that the Israelites were not looking to receive God's blessing from. And as I've been wrestling with this, I've been wanting to ask you, where is your Moab today? Where's the place you are least expecting the loving kindness of God to show up in your story, in the middle of your story? as you pray and wait for God's provisions right in the middle, where is Moab to you today? And as I've been wrestling with this and praying about it myself, I thought I'd kind of heard from the Lord where that was in my life. And even just yesterday, I was praying about it again and I felt like God pointing out, no, here's another place I want you to see, Ash, where you can trust me. I can bring about my best right in the middle of that. Something to ponder and think about in your journey. So joy can come first before we see God's provision. And this loving kindness that shows up through Ruth is not just being nice. <laughs> this loving kindness is closer to a word that we read about in, in Hebrew called hesed. 
It's described as a sincere devotion to God and to others with self-sacrifice. Hesed is something we read describing God throughout the Old Testament. 250 times Hesed shows up, first in Genesis, then in Zechariah. And over half of the times we read about the loving kindness of God, we read in the book of Psalms. Psalm 92.2 reads, to declare your loving kindness, your hesed in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Throughout God's big story, we see God's loving action showing up. Even showing up when God's people are unfaithful. Always at the heart of hesed lies God's compassion, this loving kindness that shows up and creates joy in the middle of the story. I like the way one commentary writer says, Hesed surpasses ordinary kindness and friendship. Hesed runs deeper than social expectations and responsibilities, deeper than fluctuating emotions or what is deserved or earned by the recipient. Hesed finds a home in committed familial love and it comes to life in actions. And we see it in Ruth. She clings to it with all she's got and she gives it away. This loving kindness that God works in her story and she gives away, she shares. And that's what God does. We, we see why the family tree of Jesus matters because it's rooted in stories like this one where God's presence shows up and changes the story, these reversals from loss and longing to loyalty and loving kindness, from curse to blessing. We see it move from hurt to joy, and then it moves us to give it away. I was thinking about where we see it in the rest of the story that we don't have time for. Looking at where Boaz shows up as this Israelite farmer who, who ends up coming alongside these widows and, and changing their story. He shows up with loving kindness, inspired by the hesed that he sees in Ruth's life. And then he gives it away. He gives food to her. He doesn't take advantage of her vulnerability. He, he ends up marrying Ruth and becoming her kingsman redeemer. And the family tree of Jesus is continued through Ruth and Boaz. I was reading online a place where Craig Greenfield, the founder of Alongsiders, who's a friend of 10th, who we partner with in Cambodia and around the world. I was reading where Craig said, want to keep Christ in Christmas? He challenges us on a way we can share and give away this love. Keep it simple. Eat with outcasts. Welcome those who are sad. Light a candle in the darkness. Walk alongside those who walk alone. Simple but powerful ways that we can show up with loving kindness from our stories to others and give it away. I could say to you, are you ready for a joy and a love like that, that you give away. But you know, as I've been praying about it, I've been thinking, ready or not, ready or not, God shows up in the world that way and he uses us. And instead of asking you to turn to Christ today and say, ha, I was born ready, I would encourage you to pray 
be born in me, Lord. Be born in and through me so that your love can be shared, your said can be shared with those around me. Well, when I consider a joy like this that I have recently seen in action, I can't help but think of my time in Cambodia. And I know you've heard Ken uh, share some about his experience, Pastor Ken and Pastor Patrick and myself and a couple others leading our Just Bags initiative. Uh, Anna and Roger were all with us. And we gathered with partners that Tenth uh, has been supporting, people who are coming alongside exploited women and marginalized children and youth and whole families experiencing poverty. And we ran a retreat in Shalom Valley You'll see a picture there, a beautiful alongsiders camp that Tenth helped to support and build. And as we gathered together, we not only received God's blessing, we had a chance to encourage some of our partner leaders. And some of you may have watched the video with P. Rome, one of the identical twins who shared from his story. And I need to tell you, it is one thing to watch it on the video. It's something else to sit with Pirom and hear him share out of his own story. Because when he shares about the love of Christ that has taken over his life, and he is sharing outwards with hundreds of children and youth in his country, it is so moving. And there he is with one of our other partner leaders' son. And... As he shared, I will never forget the moment that we could have heard a pin drop because Pirome was sharing about having been a cursed person, someone his village decided was the very reason there had been death in his family and he and his twin were sent away to an orphanage because they thought that twins were bad luck. And as an identical twin myself, he had me listening to his every word. It was so moving. And then as he shared about his abandonment and abuse that he went through, I was so moved to see the way that God's loving kindness and joy had risen out of his deepest troubles. Hard to believe. And I heard something really special from the Lord as he shared, and I want to share it with you. I heard deep in my spirit the Lord say to me, Ash, it isn't loud voices. It isn't loud voices. It isn't shiny skills that I need. It is the most broken parts of your story. The most broken parts, the biggest trouble you faced that I want to transform with my love. I can change the world with a life lived like that. I can move mountains. There's nothing I cannot do with a life that is turned over to me in the very places where you've experienced the greatest trouble. That is where I meet you. That's what I heard from the Lord. And, and I have read something so similar to that in Walter Brueggemann's words, worship is the bold refusal to let the trouble that surrounds us be bigger than the God who comes to meet us. Worship is the bold refusal to let the trouble that surrounds us be bigger than the God who comes to meet us. And joyfully, I can say, the loss and longing in Pirro's story does not get the final word. 
And the loss and longing in my story doesn't get the final word either. And it doesn't in yours. Joy comes in the middle of our stories when we allow God to meet us there. He rescues us from brokenness. He takes what's cursed in a Moabite named Ruth and he brings a joy, a harvest of joy out of her story. And he takes a cursed Cambodian, somebody that was an outcast to his village and he makes a harvest of joy flow out of his life and his ministry. And he can do this in our lives as well. God brings joy from curses and changing stories. His said, his love in action poured in us. And we can read in Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God was able to do more than Ruth was expected, was expecting, and he's able to do more in our stories too. And when joy shows up in the middle of our story, it changes everything. And it starts by changing me, changing you. And God's able to use that for his good. And we hear that God's has said shows up in our life. Well, I wanna end with a story where it highlights a joy that I didn't have to choose. It was a joy that chose me. And it really connects to the story of Ruth. You see, I wear Ruth chapter one, verse 16 around my neck every day of my life. I sleep with it, I run with it. I was being uh, trained as a pastor and ordained in the church. And soon after my ordination, a woman came up to me out of the blue. I had just been reminded of her first name and she gave me a gift box. And in the box was this ring. She had planned it, she had purchased it, she had it engraved for me. I didn't even really know her. And on the outside engraved, it says, your people, my people, your God, my God. And on the inside, it has the very date that I was ordained in the church. And she told me that as she prayed, she remembered God's faithfulness at work in her story and people who had come alongside her and shared loving kindness with her. And on the day she was ordained, she had another female leader come to her and give her something unexpected. And she just wanted to do something like that and pass this surprising loving kindness to somebody else. And she chose me. And I wear this every day to remember God's faithfulness how it shows up in our story and in our lives, sometimes faithfully, playfully through others that are a part of our fellowship together. And I wonder where it is God wants his said, his loving kindness, his surprising love and action to show up right here in tenth, using your hands, your lives, your influence. I wonder where God wants to show up like that and bring joy in our stories. Well, I began by using uh, words that Henry Nouwen said about joy. Joy doesn't simply happen to us, right? We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. And it sounds a bit like an assignment, but I wanna tell you the rest of that quote. 
Nowen says it is a choice based on the knowledge that we belong to God and have found God in our our lives, our refuge, our safety, and that nothing, not even death, can take God away from us. Not even death can take God away from us. Sounds like a joy that we can pray God will have born in us today because he chooses us and we can choose him. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you that you are a God at work through Ruth's story. You are a God that shows up in the middle when she's still waiting on you and your provisions. You are a God that brings loving kindness, has said, that brings joy, that changes everything. Lord, we pray for this joy to change us today. And we pray that you would use us to be your hands and your heart, your loving kindness in the world. Lord, will you teach us to share it. Where there is curse, make it a blessing, Lord. Where there is loss, Lord, we pray for loving kindness. Amen.